Blog Talk Radio. Good love, girl, you didn't know. Okay. 
if you could take us back, I know we talked uh, sort of after it, um, you know, everything kind of shut down. But take us back when you, you and and all the presidents of the the universities decided to uh, not participate in athletics due to um, COVID nineteen, and what kind of went into that? Yeah, so you know, it's it's interesting that question because it's around this time when we were trying to figure out what life was going to be like for CIAA, particularly going in the summer with programs, um, trying to get an approved budget um, with the unknowns if we were going to be able to return. You know, honestly, I went into last year knowing or or having a sense that it would be very challenging challenging for us to come back. And so I had already prepared my team to think outside the box on if we don't come back, what can we do, assuming that, you know, we've got to be prepared for both scenarios and I think that's all of us in this industry have been doing scenarios if this happens that happens and when we met with our board last May nothing no decision regarding whether we were going to cancel or not have been determined because the the COVID and data was still new we knew things were rising um, and was hopeful that there would be an opportunity for somehow some way we could come back and when we got through the summer and realized you know the fall season was looking pretty dim. We even tried to extend it. We decided to to cancel the season, at least the fall, and we would wait until January to make a decision about basketball in spring. Um, we even talked about moving fall into spring. Um, that was challenging by itself given the overhead and the staffing and the cost associated doing that. Now, there are a lot of leagues who are doing it, um, and they're wore out. Um, but they're making it happen, I think, for the best decision of our conference um, to cancel our winter season and then even our spring, but giving some autonomy for our spring school, our schools to, to still try to play in the spring so that their athletes didn't meet, lose two years, we would give that opportunity but not have conference championships. And honestly, it's been tough. I mean, we run championships and events. This is what we do. It's really hard to watch other sports and other leagues, um, you know, try to execute. There's been a lot of cancellations, stop and go. It's a burn. Um, but, you know, some institutions and conferences are doing it. We chose not to. And in some ways I'm glad that we did it for the health of our student-athletes. And uh, welcome to the edition of the Basketball News Radio show on the Basketball News Radio Network, WCON, uh, in Carborough, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, IBM TV. You can listen live there on Thursdays as well. We'll get into all those areas to check. Check our broadcast. I'm L.A. Bachelor. This is the Bachelor News Radio Show. We thank you wherever you're listening. We certainly appreciate it. You didn't have to, but you checked in with us, and we certainly do agree um, and appreciate uh, that. The number to reach us, uh, if you have a question or comment, is 646-929-0130, or online, blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA hyphen bachelor. If you're on Facebook, you can uh, make your questions and comments known at um, uh, Pad Nation on Facebook and on Twitter, Pad Nation 2. And always email us at LA Bachelor at the Bachelor News Radio Network. Thank you. Um, uh, as you're listening, I want to bring in my guest. Um, he is uh, a professor at Texas Southern and a prominent voice on the business, which is very important, 
uh, aspects and leadership of his HBCUs uh, out there and a specialist on HBCU sports, sports culture. And that uh, paradigm is Dr. Kenyatta Kaville. And, Doc, um, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you. It's good to be on with you. I hope all is well. All is well. And I, I play that excerpt for you specifically, sir. Um, because you. when you, you, you look at, I mean, you look at what, um, Commissioner McWilliams said, you, you're, you're familiar with Madam McWilliams, um, and, and what she had to say and what went into, and I didn't even play the whole, um, part of that. She went on to talk about the safety of the student athletes and, and some of the logistics that went into it. When you look at the decision that the CIAA made in not playing, as you said, you know, those fall sports and, and putting those away, and I, I remember, Doc, um, you, you just arriving to Norfolk, about to go to the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia, to cover the MEAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, and getting a text from a colleague saying, hey, the NCAA just shut you down. That happened that day. I was so hot because I just got there, and then they decided to shut it down. Uh, So we all know where we were when it happened. But from the economic standpoint, when you weighing the safety and the economics of this, um, assess what they did, assess, you know, the D1s, you know, the the FCS, uh, uh, MEAC and SWAC in particular, uh, deciding to move forward in those situations. About it, I can take you back uh, as I frame that discussion. Is I was actually going to um, hopefully get a chance to see you that Friday at the MEAC tournament in Norfolk. I was supposed to fly in that Friday morning and do a day there and then fly back into Birmingham to cover the SWAC before I came home. And everything was shut down. And when it really went back to that Wednesday when we heard, obviously, about the Oklahoma City Thunder, what was going on. And uh, I remember some of those meetings vividly because I was sitting in the office with the vice president of um, inclusion athletics, Kevin Granger at Texas Southern University. And I could quickly understand how this was going to be different. And there's a couple of things that we must look at. Um, in terms of looking at the decision from CIAA and then the MAC, MEAC, SWAC, and eventually the SIC. And as you bring the question in terms of that, as you set it up, looking at the Division Two programs, Division One that operate at the FCS level in football, that's an con- important framework to really delineate uh, the difference uh, that was taking place. And so one of the things when you're looking at this decision is at the Division One level, um, those programs um, are associated with playing in the big dances, you know, and there's a considerable amount of money that's associated with getting into the dance. At the Division Two level, while they pay the cost to bring them in for their uh, tournament, they don't get the windfall of money. So there is this component of first looking at the safety and then what is the cost associated with if you're going to play? Um, and, 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 Doc, it, it, 
And, Doc, if you could just stop and, and explain who they are when they pay the cost, who, who they are at the D2 level. Thank you for that. Yes, yeah, so the NCA um, provides revenue to each of these conferences, whether they operate at Division One level, which happens to be the um, components that the MEAC and SWAC operate at. That's their divisional level. And then the SIEC and the CIAA are at the Division Two level. And then they also have the Division Three level, and obviously you have some HBCUs that participate in the NAIA, which is an even different association. So the money that the NCA gets um, is like 90-plus percent coming from the basketball tournament. And so we think about all the money that's associated with the football, but all that money goes directly to those institutions. The NCA does not get a dime for the bowl or the playoff series, if you would. The only money they get are from the basketball tournament. So the revenues they get with that, they share with all the members regardless of divisional classification. But you get more money if you operate at the Division One classification versus those programs that operate Division Two, and they get obviously even less money at the Division Three level. So there are about four – there are – before we talk about that revenue, it's important to understand how do each institutions find out revenue sources. Well, one of the biggest revenue sources that people may not be really aware of is student fees um, that comes from the institutions. And students' uh, activity fees or athletic fees, because people call it different things, can range anywhere from 60% of the budget to 85% of the budget. The other percentage of the budget comes from the NCA. You get some money from ticket sales. You get some money, obviously, from sponsorships. But those are much smaller percentages of the money allocated to it. And obviously, for each institution, it's slightly different. For each conference, it's even more different. So when I say, um, where does that money come from, from the CIAA, the question becomes is, where are they going to get the resources to allow these students to play if they decide to play during this COVID-19 pandemic, play and make sure that they're safe when they're playing? And remember, as we go back now, we got to hit a year into this almost, it seems like perfect time, <laughs> is the fact that they didn't know exactly what they would need in terms of these stuff. They had some basic ideas, but this was a living case study in terms of what was going on. So the less resources that you have, the more challenging it would be to try to figure out how you could play. And ultimately, it probably was going to be a much more likely situation that at some point you were going to have to counsel the seat. You know, I want you to answer the, the – you talked about uh, at the D1 level, FCS, FBS, the, the uh, football um, series where – the NCAA, the NCAA doesn't – do they get any money at the HBCU level, the D2 levels, the Johnson C. Smiths, the Morehouses, some of the black colleges? Because at the end of the day, in terms of football, right, because at the end of the day, and, and you know this, you know this perfectly, um, whether the, the, the black colleges run, you know, smoothly or not, the – 
the numbers, the money from the athletic side, the endowment savings that uh, these uh, schools and institutions have to have and save uh, has to be 10 times better, 20 times, 30 times, 50 times better and then their PWI. they got to keep the doors open. So if they don't That's play right. football at the D2 level, Doc, um, are they, is it the same in terms of the money not there that the NCAA doesn't get it? But if they do get it, how detrimental is it for these black colleges at that level to be able to keep their doors open when they're not playing in the midst of COVID in, in terms of football? Yeah, that's a very important contextual question. They do get some money from the NCAA, but it is a much more smaller amount. So remember when I was talking about the range of money that institutions will have in terms of their student fees? So at a Division One school, they may have 70% or 80% of the revenue associated with a, a, $9, a $9 million budget may be coming from a student athletic athlete. I mean, student athletic fees or student fees. At the Division II level, it may go up to like 95%, even though the budget is only $4 million. So it's more important for them in terms of the money that they get from the students than it is the money they get from NCA. So it's a much smaller amount of number and a much smaller percentage of the budget that is associated with the, uh, with the NCA money. If you're just joining us, we're, we're talking with Dr. Kenyatta Caville, uh, talking about the culture of the economics of the black colleges, the, the HBCUs, radio show, WCOM, Chapel Hill, and uh, IBM TV. So, Doc, in, at the end of the day, when you hear Commissioner McWilliams say, look, it was a tough decision, uh, we sat down with the, uh, the, the colleges, universities, we made a decision based on safety. We we tried to come back. At the end of the day, um, it, it's a sort of a tough question. Do they get a pat on the back in terms of the courage based on the fact that, you know, again, the CIAA is a Division II, you know, conference, like the, like the CIAC, the SIAC, like you said. So when they shut stuff down, it may not be, you know better, it may not be as bad as Texas Southern where you are, which is, you know, an, an, an FBS. So uh, do they get sort of a pat on back? Do they show some real courage in deciding not to play these, these fall sports? Yeah, contextually, I think it's extremely important that they um, made that type of decision. And they were, to their credit, they were one of the first groups to make the decision and there was almost a partnership between CIAA and SIAC. And I think we have to answer that question in terms of the context of America. You know this better than most of us out there that sports is extremely important in this country. Some may say it's probably too important uh, in this country. So there is not just the decision of doing the right thing. It's also in terms of the political fallout. We see this playing out in the politics of the so-called Republican states and Democratic states in terms of how they're even managing uh, the COVID shutdown policies or mass policies, which half the time are not even dealing with CDC or health protocols. It's simply 
being done from political framework of how they can galvanize a base so they can get reelected. So we have to be able to be sharp enough to compartmentalize this in such a way that we understand that these decisions that institutions and leaderships are making are not making them just because uh, they are right decision or all things in place, but there are also uh, ramifications. We have presidents that will literally have the opportunity to lose their jobs based on how they make these calls and how they politically play this out. So mm. um, we have to acknowledge that. Um, and we can talk about whether that is right or wrong, but we have to at least acknowledge that these decisions are not made in a vacuum based on just one or two items. There is the health issues, there's the financial issues, there's the political climate, um, there's the status of the cultural nuance of sports in this country, uh, among many other components associated with making these decisions. So I think it's important that you even put that question on the table because it gives us a chance to really dissect in many ways the framework of this country about how important we line our uh, sports right or wrong. And, and Doc, you, you know, I can say this, is, is that I know a lot of people that, you know, weren't, you know, they, it, sports is, like you said, it's a microcosm of society. And so we had mm-hmm. um, black folks that follow HBCUs, the black college sports, that said, no, let them play. What are you doing? Get them on That's the field. Yep. It's not That's real. Right. Fake news, all this other stuff. And and they look like us, Doc, so you know. You know what I mean. That's very You've true. heard it. And, and, no, that's very true. And, and, and then part of that and, is and the other thing. A, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I know that's important. I, I just wanted to draw the parallels of that because part of that is that culture. So much of our sports in this country is about us being selfish, which is that right. American individualism instead of institutional or collectivism. It's about my need to enjoy myself, right, whether it's going to the movies or going out to eat, or being able to say that I want to eat in this establishment without my mask, or because I don't care about this other person, whether they get it or not. It's the same thing about sports. I don't care about so much about the goodwill of these students. They're out there to entertain us. So oftentimes, even though we like to uh, frame ourselves in a different cultural framework, oftentimes we take on the culture of the masses, which says that um, these Players are here to entertain us, which is a sickness in a lot of ways that we need to confront, frankly, from my opinion. And I have to work on myself in regards to that. And I've been working on myself for about 10 years to make sure that I do not cultivate that mentality um, because um, once I learned about it and understood it, it's my expectation that I have to do better now. So I'm glad that but you, you know. Of really dissecting this in this manner, it's important. And 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 to your point, you you're being very kind because at the end of the day, like you said, um, you know, uh, we take on the other side. I call it, I say it, and and we're just like just dribble the ball, just score a touchdown for me, just hit the ball. There ain't a lot of us hitting the ball. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, at, at the pro level, at least, um, you know what I mean, right? That's, so, that's, so that's just, just, yeah, just dribble through political. We don't want COVID, and then the other part of it is that we take on, like you said, the masses, right? 
I don't, you're not going to tell me to wear a mask. We, we do live in, I'm so glad you said that because I had a conversation with someone else Doc, uh, uh, the other day. We live in a world of individualism. We don't have a collective way of, of looking at things. We don't, as black people specifically, don't believe in it, it takes a village to wa- raise a child. We don't believe, a lot of us don't believe that anymore. It's a crab in a barrel. Johnson C. Smith, and I'm just throwing names out there, or Morehouse, God forbid, there in Georgia. You see what's going on with the whole voting thing there and all these stuff in places. No, I need y'all to play. I, You know, and sports in a good way has always been sort of a sidebar to get away from the, the heavy thoughts and things that's going on. But at some point, also, like you said, we can't just – you in a situation in a COVID where nobody knows anything, not even the experts, you, you can't be selfish like that. Um, and I'm not criticizing and get don't get me wrong, doctors. Like I said, it's these decisions have to be made. I'm not paid to make those decisions, so I'm not saying mm-hmm. that you know um, you know Swack and Miak made the wrong decision. What I am saying is that. Um, you know, uh, when you look at these things, at the very least, you put it out there, look, look, this is a COVID, wear a mask, we're going to protect these people, and nobody should, should have a problem with that. If you're going to have a, if you're not going to have a problem with people deciding not to wear a mask, then don't have a problem with the, the, the sports people, the student of the run the show that want to wear a mask. You know what I'm saying? It can't be one-sided. And I think that's Proud part of the the issue that went into it, Doc. Um, when you look at it, when certain conferences or schools, you see A and T and A in a different division, or divisions decided to play, or decided not to play, Doc. Correct, no doubt about it. I think to your point, when you start looking at this, if we take it from a historical lens and we understand that the further we move away from um, desegregation, um, right, or segregation, because I do not like to use the term integration because I think it puts a false dichotomy of what integration truly is, especially what we know it today. Amen. Um, Thank uh, you. Or what, or what many people think, what, what many people would call forced um, integration, uh, if we're going to use that framing, I view it as, a, as just pure assimilation. We have started to assimilate to the norms of the Eurocentric society. And the more we move into that trope, the further we move away from, as you talked about, this cultural framework that it takes a village uh, to raise a family. Because we know that under the capitalistic framework, in many ways, it's about individualism. You know, you've heard these terms and tropes over the years. Um, Bring yourself up by your own bootstraps. Raise yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? That is this nationalist framing of the American context that you can do this individually. But when we strip it all away, we start to understand that nobody does this individually. But the easiest way to separate a people um, is to get them to believe in this individual construct, that you have the ability to narrow navigate this space by yourself 
which becomes very devastating to community, uh, which is essentially where you're talking about the power of institutions. This country and this world in so many different ways are built on institutions. You cannot create power, certainly can't defeat an institution as an individual. At the best, it's going to take another institution to create the leverage to give you space to be able to carve out your niche to get the power, the equity, and the equal rights uh, that a lot of people and myself are looking for in terms of playing on a level playing field. And so until we really collectively understand that empowerment of us as a group, the more challenging it is going to be over the years, as many of us have felt into this framing of assimilation into the norms of society. Then, folks, this is why I have the, the Dr. Cavill on it. I mean, a, a very good insight joining us, talking with Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, professor at Texas Southern, prominent voice on business and culture, the culture, the sports, sports culture of the HBCUs and beyond. I mean, we, I could go on and I could ask Dr. Doc, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, We talked about this before we um, uh, uh, last week, and you know we had some tech issues. So I want to bring this up to you again, if if you have the time. I I really will appreciate it. Um, So, and and that is, you mentioned the identity, right? So we don't want to be individuals, but should, but specifically to African Americans. Uh, uh, again, we are not starting at the, the, the starting line. There is not a, a level playing field. Um, those who look like us and are with us that believe that, I will sell you to Brooklyn Bridge. Um, so when you say the identity of this, we looked at baseball last time we talked. And, it, it, I mean, if you look at, you know, HBCUs in general. And I'm not picking on A&T or FAM or Bethune making moves, going to PWIs and not staying. PWIs folks out there, predominantly white institutions, going to PWIs and, and joining those conferences instead of staying with the HBCUs. not saying it, but the So I'm bringing it up that way. But when you look at those moves and you look at some of the rosters, Sports-wise, you know, in baseball in particular, um, our Hispanic cousins, you know, that's one thing. But you see some, you know, Caucasians that go to play maybe at Texas Southern or maybe at Bethune or maybe at some of the, the, the central, some of these great programs, baseball programs. And you see them at other levels, you know, maybe going to Delaware State to play football or whatever. Um, how much does that hurt the identity of the HBCUs, and and are these HBCUs trying to go the Rainbow Jesse Jackson Coalition type thing where they see it as a way to keep their identity but also keep the doors open? In other words, they want to make sure that they, you know, they survive. So they have to be creative, and this is part of it. Not to say that they want to discriminate, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I think that's extremely complex, 
in terms of looking at it, and we have to be careful that we don't paint it with a broad brush. But to get into dissecting your question, because I think we can learn from what that means. And at some HBCUs, it could be more of a fact that they're trying to grow um, or increase their enrollment, which actually pays for the subsidies of the institution and all individuals that are associated with it. So it could be just a framework of doing that. But I want us to take a step back and be mindful that athletics, while it is the front porch, as some people say, of the institution, it is a smaller classification of students. So you take an athletic department, it may be um, a case where you have 150 um, athletes, college athletes, all the way to, let's say, maybe nearly 250, maybe almost 300 athletes. But depending on your institution, you can see how that could be a very small component of an institution even if they have, you know, a population of 1,500 students. Now, imagine if they have 10, 12,000 students. You're talking about a very small population. Um, so even if they're trying to create this diversity initiative in terms of the institution, it's, very, it's doing a small amount. Now, when you look at it in uh, percentages, it can help in terms of inflate those numbers. I say all that to say I think the basic thing gets back to what we said about this country. Sports are important, and for you to be relevant in this country in terms of sports, and some people would say even in institutions, which could be seen as very sad, is that at the end of the day is you have to win. And so I believe that many of these presidents, chancellors, to some degree ADs or VPs of athletics, and certainly the coaches because they want to keep their jobs, um, they are recruiting what they think uh, can help them win, which can be a different frame with, with what you're talking about, the importance of giving cultural opportunities uh, for college athletes associated with the original mission of these institutions. And the reason I say original missions of these institutions, we have to be frank. Some of these institutions have even changed their mission particularly if they're public institutions, some of them may have been forced to change the mission of the institution, even though historically they could be connected with educating African-Americans or black uh, in terms of whichever term you prefer to use, but because of the political framework of what legislative bodies have dictated in terms of them being able to get the funding to keep the institution low, which we already know they have been deprived of the rightful amount of money, but even in that case, it can often dictate in terms of the power structure of what individuals have to do to operate their school. Now, that's a big framework of that. But I think at its simplest form, a lot of this is due to chasing the ring, because we all say the ring is the thing. No matter what level we are, we have sold uh, most people in the framework of sports. For you to be relevant, you have to win. And we know in most cases for you to win, you have to have the talent. So the question becomes, where is that talent coming from? When you have a shrinking number of African-Americans playing the game, you have the opening doors of these, what I refer to as historically white colleges and institutions, so we can show a, a framework in equalization and equity between the two institutions in terms of the name. And for a matter of fact, that's exactly what these institutions were when they were found. 
some would even say that they were um, framed as institutions that only allowed European or white men in those in those institutions. So you could call them exclusive institutions at one time. But from that framework is now you have this smaller pool of athletes, right? And they have more of a choice. The question becomes now, where are you going to get that talent pool from to continue participating in baseball? Some people have used that as an excuse of why they are shutting down their baseball program. You've seen that as an issue. You already have talked about even at the professional level that you have a decline in the number of professional African-American and black athletes playing the game. So that isn't going to do anything but uh, go down the escalator, if you would, in terms of the participation at the collegiate level, even less so at the high school level, because you have some urban cities that don't even have baseball programs within their urban uh, high school. And then you go down to the Little League, and you tend to see more of them playing at that level, but then they dissipate and go into different sports. So it becomes a very complex and complicated issue when you talk about it. But the context, I think, when you really look at it, is just the case that you have these institutions chasing the ability to have a winning program. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's very important that you brought the fact that, you know, um, I think, too, uh, Doc, not just shutting down the programs, from financial standpoint or, or uh, anything above, uh, knowing your identity, like knowing your football school or basketball yeah. school or whatever the That's case right. may be, you know, you know, field hockey is not working for you. With all due respect to those play and love it or whatever, you know, why are you keeping it open? Like it, it's not. It, it, if you're in a in a, a crunch. And I'm not saying all, but you you know them, Doc. We we talk about them. So, so if you're in a crunch keeping the doors, and you know the academias are, are are clashing, say with you know the 80s and that department, and and one side's gonna win, right? So if, mm-hmm. if you got frisbee going on, or I mean, it's, it's we, don't we need to be? Don't they need to be realistic about? what they're going to keep, you know, playing. And, uh, again, I, I hate it for the, the student athletes, but at the end of the day, right, the broader picture is do you want to keep playing lacrosse when you're horrible at it and, it, you know, not winning or whatever. It, it's, it's, it, there's some of the decisions that re- really need to be hard decisions, but in some cases it's like if you look at the numbers and you do, it should be a no-brainer. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late-night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. I know they're looking. Everyone's staring. A scab from a cold sore is so embarrassing, you feel like everyone notices. 
get new Campofanique cold sore treatment for scab relief. The only one targeted for the scab, the worst part of a cold sore. Its special formula provides maximum strength pain relief. Plus, it seals in moisture to help prevent cracking, to promote healing. So now, you'll be noticed for other things. Nice haircut, Lisa. Campofanique stops pain, promotes healing, ends embarrassment. Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM, and Chapel North, of course, uh, IBM TV, and uh, other uh, outlets where you can hear the broadcast, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Uh, I want to go to the uh, phones, and my guest, uh, he is the co-host of the Resistance Hour uh, that airs here on the Bastion News Radio Network every Wednesday 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, always good to have him on. It's been a minute, uh, and but uh, good to have him on to, to talk uh, briefly with us. He is Dr. Uh, Larry Fidewa. Dr. Fidewa, always good to have you on, my friend. Always good to be here. Good, and I appreciate uh, running behind and stuff and you know how that goes in radio sometimes but um i I wanted to to have you on and we haven't talked in quite some times in particular as it relates to um the republican party certainly you're conservative um and you know one of the things the doc that you and i have had conversations about off the air is the inclusion of the Republican as it relates to uh, African-Americans, people of color, uh, those who are independents, which could be any race. Um, where do you, you think the party is in terms of inclusion, in terms of, and we'll get to the other stuff and the, you know, the, Trump time and those other things, but um, in terms of the, in terms of leadership of the party, what do you think the the party is, and what can they do better? Well, uh, I think I think that I know you're. Uh, this this may uh, be hard for you to swallow, but <laughs> I think that uh, the the Trump era uh, highlighted. For the for, for the first time in a long time, the uh, fact that the uh, minority uh, populations of uh, the Hispanics and the uh, blacks and and uh, who and and everybody else um, are really 
the, the, the they're really part of uh, uh, a change in the entire mentality of 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 the of the Republican Party. I think that that what is happening, what is it, it, it's just really quite quite surprising that um, the party was generally known and probably pretty uh, accurately known uh, as a uh, member of the uh, kind of the elite and and to some extent the country club kind of uh, business uh, mentality. Uh, business class people, and they weren't particularly known or particularly interested. I think in uh, in people of uh, that were uh, um, in the middle, the middle class, or or even uh, the the uh, more uh, dramatically uh, poverty-stricken people in, in in our in our in our country and it's both both the rural and 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 city um and i think that what has happened really is that they've suddenly become or suddenly in the sense of probably in a period of about four years uh, become more and more a party of the middle class and 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 that and inclusive of all of the um all of the people that that are here in the uh, in, in the population, including minorities, and and um, and uh, and that would include both uh, the uh, blacks and and and, and uh, people in generally in in the cities. That that was not that was not what the Republicans were known for. And people like me and and you and and others that were talking about the. Uh, Value of uh, the uh, black uh, vote to to the uh, Democrat uh, regime and how how it was kind of taken for granted and and that we really ought to uh, make uh, uh, a lot more of the uh, connection between uh, being a, a a good solid citizen and and being a, a Republican. Um, you know that we were really in the, in the minority. Uh, you think I always think of Susanna Martinez, who you know she said they she and her husband were talking to were were uh, kind of uh, talk, trapped into a uh, cocktail conversation with a couple of Republican activists, and she said we came out of that, and she looked at her husband and she said, "Damn, I guess we're Republicans." Um, that whole men- that whole mentality was was just uh, very uh, avant-garde, and now since um, the Trump era, in which he emphasized so much the idea of trying to uh, have a, a prosperous uh, uh, prosperity in, in, in all of the different uh, groups in, in the, that make up the United States. Um, that that whole thing, and 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 by the way, that that the big business is now turned more from Republican to Democrat. I think that's largely because they're very interested in China as a as a market. But uh, right, and and, and anyway, Doc, you that, know, the, 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 no, and the, to to your point, we we've had that conversation about listen, um, you know. 
it, it, even before and after, um, you know, slavery ended and the, the Civil War ended and the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, a black were Republicans. And when you sure. think about it, um, it, Doc, when you think about it, and and you and I have had again on and air on and off the air conversations about um, blacks being conservative, being of religious values and moral values, and all the values that this country says they they are are based on. That why not have that umbrella mentality? Come as you are. We're about you know working class. We're about you know, families, we're about entrepreneurship, all the things that the party says they're about, yet the optics uh, are not there. The faces, quite frankly, aren't there. And then to, to uh, you more, know, sure, well, I mean, but I was, but the point I was going to get to is that you're saying in terms of Mr. Trump and, and bringing the inclusions, I know the data showed more Hispanics, more African-Americans, all, all that. Um, but the other conversation that you and I had is the rhetoric. And if you're telling somebody they're a loser and loser or this or that, and you're no good, but come on and join me. Uh, how does that resonate with people like me or anybody conservative type of values? Um, if what he's saying um, in public is not, it's not resonating in a positive light to the masses, the masses being black and brown people. Well, you know, there, there's two aspects, there are two advantages uh, to, the, to uh, the black community to uh, start taking yeah, seriously. To taking seriously the, uh, pos- the possibility of uh, becoming active in the Republican Party. The, the, the first one is uh, there, there will be uh, uh, a need for the Democrats to uh, earn the uh, the black vote instead of just taking it for granted. And and uh, and the second is that there are a lot of this this party is is undergoing uh, enormous uh, changes, but. Uh, but the way that the way that it it, it it has to get down to the to the ground, like my dad used to say, you have to take get the hay down where the horses can eat it, and and a good example of that is uh, our friend uh, Bob Livingston. You know, he started out in his first election uh, in uh, in uh, New Orleans. Uh, with about something like five percent of the, of the black vote, and by the time he came to this third election, he had about eighty-five percent of of the black vote. And I asked him how he did it, and he said, "I, I listened to them." And he said that that he, he said you have to go where they are, and you have to listen to them, and you have to find out what's important to them, and then you have to try to help them do it. And 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 there, that is what you're talking about. There's not enough of that, but but there is more now than there was before, and there's certainly a un, uh, uh, an understanding and an appreciation of the value, the political value of having 
the black community uh, more and more uh, moving in the direction of the Republicans, and le- and and of course the the Democrats have taken it for granted all these years. They're suddenly uh, going way off on the le- on the left. So it's a very appropriate time, and and I think that it, I think that the the thing you need. That, that I like to see coming coming up is is more black leaders, and 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 those faces you're talking about, you know there are more and more uh, black faces uh, on the Republican side, whether it be television or whether it be uh, in the neighborhood. So I, I I'm pretty optimistic about this. <laughs> Resistance Power on the Bastard Nation Radio Network. Can, can you hear me now? I, I can't. Okay, good. Um, it's not really because okay. when you, you, you look at the... I can't hear you. The, uh, <laughs> right. Can you... Is that better, sir? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Not better. Okay, I apologize for that. Um, you 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 talk about leadership, and let me just say this: um, as a as an African American, I've been saying this, and anybody can go back and listen to it. And you know this is that I've all, often said that you know um, the Democratic uh, Party uh, has always taken the black vote for granted. And we need to realize that. Uh, We need to understand that. Uh, I'm not telling anybody how to vote, but I am saying that, you know, I'm not a big, I mean, I'm I'm people, I keep it real on this show. I'm not a big Nancy Pelosi fan. I'm not a big Chuck Schumer fan, nor am I a Mitch McConnell fan either. Um, It just has to be some form of balance. I'm not either, by the way. You know, yeah, I'm sure you're not, of course, (laughs) but... But I mean, at the at the end of the day, it's about um, what goes on. What is a very important to these communities in this particular case, as me being an African American uh, a community. So, what would you say are some of the sort of immediate plans um, with uh, Mr. Trump not in office now? But of course, if if Republicans win back. House and Senate, what are some of the immediate things that they can do to bring forth or draw in um, black conservatives in particular um, to the party? Well, I think I think the the uh, program that uh, Ben Carson uh, uh, was so active in the Opportunity Zones. Do you realize that they, they raised uh, investment? In the in the hundreds of billions of dollars in in that opportunity zone uh, program that they had, I mean that that's getting that's getting the hay down where the horses can eat it, you know that means that you've got because what's holding what's holding back a lot of the uh, ghettos in our in our in our country is the lack of investment. Yeah, if you're going to start a business, you got to have some money and, and some uh, ability capability of doing it and and if you can get sources that uh, are not not government that that they're they're not they're not going to be telling you 
what you have to do and what you can't do and all this, but they're just uh, they're just regular neutral investors, and that's what they that's what they did, and they, and it, they, that was a very very important program, and that's also why why uh, Trump got uh, a lot of a much larger portion of the black uh, vote in his last election than than he had before or anybody had before any Republicans. Um, so I mean that's that's the kind of thing that that can be done, and and I think that uh, if if they take over the Congress in this uh, next election, that uh, by God they, they ought to really get on on back on board with that kind of a uh, a program. The other thing that they that they uh, really can do and and really needs very much to be done is the, the idea of uh, school choice, because one of the biggest problems that we have in the entire country is uh, that, that we've had government running the schools uh, for so long that uh, that they've gotten very corrupt, and and we I I think unfortunately for the uh, teacher union, which I used to be very uh, very active in, uh, they have they really hurt themselves badly with the public opinion this past year. Um, but I think it's also the opportunity now to really push uh, school choice, and and frankly, uh, I see that as the only way that we're going to ever get reform, in uh, in the, especially in K-12, uh, and and this is a chance to do it, and uh, those are those are two very practical things that I think can and, and they've been started, and they they can they can really go do a lot of good. And and uh, the people that that are involved, uh, you know, the uh, the citizens that are involved uh, recognize that. I mean, they 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 understand. Those parents know what schools are good and what schools are not. Every time they have school choice in any kind of an open environment, uh, they they're just flooded with the the private schools and the uh, and the charter schools are. Are just flooded with uh, parents that want to get their children, and so uh, those are two those are two examples I, I, that I would I would uh, cite. We need more of that, yeah. more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and um, final question for you: When you 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 look at um, um, Trump, and of course he started his own, he's been banned, Facebook, Twitter, all that, started his own thing. The, the rumor is that he's going to run for president President uh, uh, again. You look at the division, Miss um, Cheney is stripped of her position in, in the party, is being on one side, sort of others in the middle, so, some not even kind of speaking up, and then you have sort of the quote-unquote Trump side. Where's the party now, and, and where do you see See it going, um, especially with uh, 2022 right around the corner. I think, uh, I hope anyway. There, there, the Republicans really have a very deep bench when it comes to younger uh, people that are um, that are in, in in office, and and that's both in in terms of the federal uh, Congress and and the Senate. Uh, and uh, it's also true in the states where they have a lot of uh, very uh, 
incompetent uh, governors and and uh, local uh, uh, people. Um, I, I whether Trump himself runs or not, um, I think that nobody knows that, including him. Um, I sure don't. But I think a lot of his ideas, you know, he he's the kind of guy that if if you uh, if you if you if you didn't know if you didn't know him as a person, you you would see a lot of the ideas and a lot of the things that he that he uh, espoused were very very uh, good. Unfortunately, he he turned out to be kind of a, a very uh, controversial salesman for his own good ideas. But this idea of America first. Um, I think that really has taken root in the uh, not only the Republican Party, but a lot of a lot of people right now that voted in the for the Biden side are having second thoughts. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know how I feel about him, but uh, I mean, it's seventy over seventy million people voted for him, and um, uh, again, Doc, you and I can have a civil conversation and. And agree and disagree because we don't have all these these distractions. You just said it yourself. If he wants, if he wants any kind of real mission and dialogue, it you know it's all about the optics. If you really truly want somebody to understand where you're coming from, politics, um, and you especially want to have this umbrella type of mentality, uh, then. <laughs> Like you said, he, um, you you can't go about the way that he did uh, in order to get those to get those those folks like um, anyone anyone close to me on your side, uh, Doc. Before you go, I want to finish this. We're we'll do a part two next week, but before you go, just let people know about your show and how they can follow you outside of uh, of of the network. Well, right now we're doing a we're doing a show called the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson. Uh, we're kind of co-hosts on that. Uh, that's um, I've had to uh, drop back a little bit on some of my professional activities because of some personal uh, things that are going on and. Uh, so uh, my column right now is uh, be, uh, was suspended after 419 weeks, um, but uh, we'll hope, I've got a book, a couple of books that I'm working on. So uh, and, and then the, the other thing is uh, we're, we're we're generally we're I think we're supposed to be on uh, the podcast of, of our programs, um, and I. I not quite sure exactly where that stands at the moment. I think that is something you ought to be able to tell us. Right, because, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but Absolutely. right now, the main, the main thing I'm doing is some guest shots and, and, and the one hour on, uh, well, sometimes two hours to Tom and I on Wednesday nights at uh, uh, either 7 to 8 or sometimes 6 to 6 to 8. Easter. And of course, you can hear uh, the show on uh, the rebroadcast uh, currently on the Bastion News. Airtime. Not pro, the Bastion News. Airtime. 
www.thepro. Uh, and Dr. Larry Sidawa, always a pleasure. Say hello to the missus. You be well. I know about the personal matters. And uh, uh, let's let's continue this uh, part two and get into the um, the wage gap and and conscious capitalism um, as the days and uh, weeks go by. So I appreciate you. Anytime, anytime. Thanks, Doc. Dr. Larry Fedor, good to have him on. Different perspective. Certainly, uh, we want to make sure. Again, folks, you might get mad at me, but, I mean, again, I'm not, I don't believe in any of the leadership on any side. To me, it's about the people. Um, I've often said, um, black Democrats, like, okay, like, uh, you know, look at it. Nancy Pelosi and everybody else, are they doing what you want them to do? Is the Congressional Black Caucus doing what you want them to do? We have to do the research and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do and then make the decisions from there. Let's not be robots, you know. Uh, I live in North Carolina. That doesn't mean that kids are born with the ball in their hand when they come out of their mother's womb, which is the assumption here in Carolina, like basketball started here, and Carolina people will probably be upset with me with that too. But it's the same thing with Democrats. You black Democrats, if you base it on the merits, sure, but let's not just be it because your pastor said that's what you need to be. That's all I'm saying. It's the Bastion News a Radio Show on the Bastion's Radio Network. Stay tuned. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Blog Talk. Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCLM, Chapel Hill, IBM TV. I had to have like a hike instrumental 
for when Mike comes out, I, I, I search through the, the archives, the library to get something. Little Uchi Wawa uh, uh, cement in the background for him because you know he hype when he comes on. He brings the noise, brings the uh, info. Uh, the general, of course, sportsawakening.com, the natural voice, uh, AFC South. Uh, it covers them, of course, uh, on this evening at the time of this broadcast. Mike Patton and Mike, uh, appreciate you, bro. Appreciate your patience as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. So, um, in the bachelor household, there is a happy son and an unhappy son. From last night <laughs> to the time of this broadcast uh, show, and that would be Lakers, uh, Golden State. My oldest son, Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry guy. <laughs> My youngest, really, he's uh, whoever he likes, like ice cream. Uh, he's a Laker fan at the moment. <laughs> and, and, of course, to rub it in, uh, his older brother uh, winning the Lakers with the big shot. Uh, of course, they win. Before we kind of get into the games and all that kind of stuff, I, again, I come back to you about the, the, the obvious question about Obviously, you said with this new format, it's it's about it ain't the damn thing funny. That that's what it's about. We know that. But wasn't it? You know, it was kind of dramatic. You know, I mean, these two um, teams that won titles and these two superstars and future Hall of Famers and a few others in there. Uh, it was it was it was a good game. I mean, you know, Golden State blew the lead, but LeBron is a big shot, showing that he can being folklore, and they went by three. But what say you now after this, these first rounds, if you will, of games, even in the Eastern Conference, about this new setup, this new format? Well, you definitely saw um, teams that weren't supposed to be there, i.e. Right. the um, – let's see, you saw the um, – <clears throat> the uh, gracious – Forgetting names, the San Antonio Spurs. Charlotte, I like the San Antonio Spurs, Spurs yeah. and, hmm, and then Charlotte. Charlotte got blasted, and and, and honestly, they've been kind of living, you know, great until the end of the season when injuries finally caught up to them. I'd love to have seen them healthy mm. playing that game, but unfortunately, it is what it is. But <clears throat> just in terms of teams that weren't supposed to be there, it, it kind of figured itself out. If you notice the. Uh, the higher seeds, uh, I believe, won all games. Yeah. So, so, so to the point, I know Nick and Nassis has been on, and you, I've asked you both about this whole, you know, you know, teams shouldn't be in the Lakers. I heard him saying other people that Lakers shouldn't be in that position. This and that, the Lakers won them. <laughs> At the end of the day, it worked out. They did win the way they were supposed to win the game. Um, you know, Memphis took care of business in a big time, and I thought it would be um, a little bit more uh, competitive, but, but they came out and blasted San Antonio um, early and won that game. But, again, Mike, I mean, yeah, the, we know why the NBA is doing it, but, oh, by rating their money, but, oh, by the way, this these first few games that they've had have been – you know, been pretty pretty nice, but for the most part. <clears throat> All right. Um, you know, honestly, for the Lakers, actually, I think this game helps them. Um, 
you know, in a weird way because that starting five hadn't even played 10 games together. So that kind of helps them. And I was listening to Tim Legler talk the other night, and he made a very, very good point that as they go on, they'll get better playing with each other because they're used to playing with each other at that point. And, as, you know, if they continue to advance and play with each other, I mean, they could be even more dangerous and resemble more of the team last year than this year, to be honest. But as far as the other teams, I mean, they showed you who they were. The NBA made their money. And, you know, to me, um, if the Wizards win tonight, then all eight teams that were supposed to be in the playoffs are still in the playoffs. If the um, Golden State Warriors, I believe, win tomorrow night, then all eight teams that were supposed to be in the playoffs are in the playoffs there. So, in the end, it still works out. The NBA makes a lot of money. Yeah, but even with that, Mike, you being said, I mean, maybe not so much the patience with the star power, but, you know, the Wizards got uh, a a star star power backcourt in Beal and and Westbrook. And then, you know, Memphis is maybe not the star team. You, You see them on a regular basis, but you still got Steph Curry in this, so you got some drama there. Can they win and get in face Utah uh, if they beat Memphis? So there's some things there. And I incidentally had to sell my, my oldest son on the whole thing. You lost, but, hey, you win. You still <laughs> you going to get Utah, but but that's the thing. Um, what about this Laker team? I, I do – I think you and I talked about this last week. Don't count these guys out. They are the defending champions. They can go the distance and win it again. If not, if, if the worst-case scenario, get to the Western Conference Finals, get to the NBA Finals, maybe not win, but get back there. Um, but when you look at this team, I, I love uh, uh, what Coach is doing in Phoenix and, and – and you know I love Chris Paul, but just like Utah, these top two seeds, they they are not proven. Utah and Phoenix, and the Lakers get Phoenix. I like I like the Lakers' chances against Phoenix. What say you? I definitely like Lakers' chances against Phoenix because Phoenix, one thing they have on Phoenix is experience. Uh, look at that team uh, and look at right. the, the three, three major parts. You've got uh, Booker. You've got Aiton and you've got uh, Bridges. Those three players have never played in the playoffs. So, and then you got Cam Johnson coming in off the bench who's a contributor. He's never played in the playoffs. Cameron Payne, he was on a playoff team, but he never played in those games. So, you've got a and lot of love them, And we love Devin Booker, but he, even with Devin Booker, we love Devin Booker, but the experience, like you said, outside of Chris Paul, what experience do they have, you know, um, on his team against the bigs, you know, a drumming guy that was, he wants to prove that he wants to get a title. So, you know, he's going to be, he want to eat. Um, so it, 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 I, I just see it. How far do you think that series will go? We're both picking the Lakers. How far do you think the series will go? Six games. I believe it'll go six games. Lakers will win the sixth game in the Staples Center and move on to the next round. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. When you look at the games um, that will play against, you know, um, uh, the the top seeds, you know, the Pacers uh, uh, looked exceptional, and so did Washington. Um, but 
you you kind of look at them. They both have the same record going into this game. Uh, who wins that? And and I'm assuming. Well, I'm not going to assume because I know you see Memphis uh, closer than anybody else uh, with Golden State. Who wins that game? All right, as far as the Washington and uh, Indiana game, uh, the one thing I would say, Indiana played very good against Charlotte. But one thing you also have to remember is Charlotte didn't have any size. And also right. Justin Holiday and and, uh, and I can't remember the other guy's name. They both had the games of their lives. Uh, can you expect them to have, same, have, have those same games of their lives against uh, Washington, Washington? I'm not for sure you can. <clears throat> and... Um, you know that that would be the the thing for me when watching uh, that game. Um, although I will say it's a bonus we still have a field day against the Washington Wizards front line, especially Alex Lynn. You know I, I think he can take his lunch money. So um, as far as the uh, Golden State Warriors and the and the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, one thing I'll say there is that you know Steph Curry. Everybody talks about Steph Curry and the offense and things like that. But, you know, you got to remember, they're playing at home and not playing in uh, L.A. And then also, I mean, you still have Steph Curry. You still have the other guys that are playing with this. And if Andrew Wiggins plays the way he played uh, for a majority of the game uh, against the Lakers, they'll win that game because that, then they'll have more scoring punch uh, in, in addition to Steph Curry. If just joining us, I'm talking with Mike Patton, of course, here on the Bass News Radio Show on the Bass News Radio Network and OM and uh, IB TV. Um, when you look at a couple of teams that are, I I would say, in sort of a, a, a hot seat, uh, I look at, and we'll have another guest on, I look at a Boston team, Mike, that, you know, expectations were high. I think they very much underachieved. They never really had any identity, and I blame that on the coaching staff um, uh, on offense or defense. You look at them, and then you look at, again, this Utah team. So, I, you know, you go from 7-1, and one, this Utah team where you got an injured Donovan Mitchell, but but they've been solid and consistent all year. Um, who do you think has the most pressure to do well in the playoffs? Do they both or either or? Because, again, Boston with the high expectations in the East, and they're playing uh, against the Brooklyn team that, uh, again, everybody is either Brooklyn or Philly. And then the Utah team is like, wow, they haven't been this high since the Malone Stockton days, really, at this point? Honestly, I think the the Utah Jazz have more pressure on them than the Boston Celtics. The reason why I say that is because um, Utah's been the number one team in the league for the majority of the season. Uh, they've shot the ball well from the three-point line, and, I mean, you know, they've, they've, they've got to live with the expectation of they've never done well when it comes to the playoffs and never had a deep run to Donovan Mitchell. So they've got a lot of that to deal with. When it comes to Boston, Boston can fall back on <clears throat> injuries and not having uh, Jalen Brown. They can fall back on those teams. As to, those things as to why they didn't succeed. But, um, you know, they, they definitely have more, uh, I, I should say, an out than the uh, 
than, than the Utah Jazz do, which I think, honestly, um, my, my father told me always growing up that if you live by the jumper, you die by the jumper, the Utah Jazz shoot more threes and make more threes than anybody in, in, the, um, in the NBA. But do you ever see them win those games when they don't shoot the ball well? I don't think they will shoot the ball that outstanding in the playoffs, especially in the game where it's super tight defense. So that's why I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the Jazz had to prove me wrong, and you know, and the, the past shows me that they have. Well, it's going to be interesting. I, 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 I kind of agree with you in terms of the pressure, um, but I think the difference for me in terms of aftermath if they both fail equally or one of the other is that all of a sudden I think um, uh, Coach Stevens is in the hot seat. Like I think uh, I, I just think that they I mean they're 500 um, and you know they certainly they, you know on paper they're certainly facing a Brooklyn team that you know everybody a lot of people think it's win, win it all um, but, you know, they went from, you know, the Darlings to the play-in to now <laughs> facing the, the, the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, if he's not out, I, I think it, it could be one of those situations where he better he better do well in, uh, in the, the next season, um, it, it, you know, in my opinion. Um <clears throat> One of the one of the other matchups that I I look at that are intriguing in both in the East and West. I want you to break those down. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Mike Patton here, talking some NBA playoffs here on the Bastion News Radio Show. Is Clippers Dallas? I think that's going to be fun. Um, uh, you have Dallas, who's you know sort of house money and. They like to shoot it from outside. They run a gun and that kind of thing. The Clippers, you know, can they go deep after, you know, post-Doc Rivers in that matchup, that 4-5? And then that 3-6 in the East, Mike, and I know you're big on Miami, and I know you're big on Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee can go deep, but I know how you feel about Spolstra and, and how, you know, that that group has been there to the finals and, and, and and looking at the, the players and the experience that they have, that's a really tough call for me at 3-6 in the East. So look at the 4-5 in the West, assess the 4-5 in the West and the 3-6 in the East. All right, we're going to start Dallas and Clippers. The Clippers have something to prove. Last year they right. played against Dallas, and, uh, you know, Luka Doncic, you know, if it wasn't for Chris Porzingis getting injured, they probably could have won that game, won that, won, won that series, I'm sorry. So um, this year they have a lot to prove. The Clippers are deep as usual. <clears throat> the the Mavericks have kind of been so-so this year. Um, but one thing I think that will help the Clippers win this series is they're a little bit um, – I don't know, they faced a little bit of adversity this year, and Paul George seems to have a little bit different confidence going into the playoffs. I know everyone's going to crack the jokes about his performances in the playoffs and things like that, but it just seemed like he had a little different air about him this year. 
Um, and honestly, you know, I think at times he played better than Kawhi did. And you always have to worry about Kawhi's foot as well, by the way. He he is, he is has, does have a lingering foot injury. But, you know, I think the Clippers have enough depth, have enough uh, shooting, with, especially with Luke Kennard. But the biggest thing is going to be can Rondo and Reggie Jackson and Patrick Beverly man the point guard position well enough. I think they will for this series. Luca, sorry, but you got to go home. You don't have enough help. And, you know, um, they have to start thinking, is Kristaps Porzingis really the second option that they thought he was after, after they lose this series? Uh, as far as the Miami and um, Miami Milwaukee. and Milwaukee series, I mean, honestly, um, it all comes down to a couple different things. Uh, Milwaukee has forever given the ball to Greek Freak at the top of the key and let him drive and do whatever. But what teams did in the playoffs is wall off the uh, the defense, wall off the, the drive to the lane and just make him do other things, and it made him look like a fish out of water. Um, one thing Candace Parker pointed out this year they started doing is putting uh, Giannis more on the post, on the elbow, a little more as well. From that vantage point, he can distribute, he can go to the basket, and he can use his post-up game, which he has started to develop more. Uh, if they do that a little bit more, it'll make things a little bit more difficult for Miami to defend them, especially with Drew Holiday kind of catching the rhythm. And, of course, Bobby Portis, who is shooting the ball better than he has in his career from three-point range. So, and of course, you can't forget Chris Middleton. So, in that aspect, I think my, uh, Miami could have some problems. However, on the opposite side, who's guarding Bam? Brooke Lopez, sure. So uh, I would say that would be uh, a big issue there. But, you know, the one thing that Miami may be missing is that third score. It could be Kendrick Nunn. could be Goran Dragic, who hasn't been the same guy he was last year. You know, that's the biggest things that, that will come in those series. Uh, I Actually, even though I want to pick Miami, with my heart, I want to pick Miami, but my mind is telling me that Milwaukee will rise to the challenge this year, handle business, get some revenge, and move on to the next round. And this is, to me, Mike, is the season of uh, Prove Yourself, Utah, Phoenix. Um, uh, you look at uh, Milwaukee for me, um, the Sixers, which I'll get to. And the second, so the, a lot of this is the, the prove it. The, the Brooklyn on paper looks like, yeah, they should be in the finals and win it. Uh, this is the prove it year in the NBA for me. Um, so the notables, Denver, Portland, any upset there? Um, who's a tougher uh, out for Philly, um, uh, Boston, Washington? I, I think clearly for me is Boston. And, oh, my God, the Knicks in Atlanta are the 4-5 in the Eastern Conference. How long do you, you know, when have we seen those two teams being that high ranked, and who do you think win that series? Okay, when you talk about Denver and Portland, uh, I mean, Portland's going to come at it with waves of people, but this is going to be the Terry Scott got fired series because this series they're going to lose in the first round. Denver's going to win the series without Jamal Murray. <clears throat> march on in the playoffs. And I think it's been past due to Terry Stotts to be fired in Portland. And I think this is just the, the end of it right here, in my opinion, or it should be. Um, as far as the um, but Boston, there, Let me ask you, Boston you don't, think, you don't okay. think, though, that, that they, they – you know, Portland's such a small market. A lot of guys 
that you know they're not going to max out in Portland as opposed to New York or Atlanta or even L.A. So they they're not really trying to come there. Aldridge was gone; he's retired, long gone. Of course, Spurs now retired. So I mean that you don't fall on the coaching. I mean they got the one of the best point um, backcourts in in the game, and they're just not. They don't have the bigs. They're just not. You know they have the personnel. I mean, honestly, they do have the personnel. Um, they have a big man that can score. They have two guards that can score. Um, they have the wing defenders, Derrick Jones, Robert Covington. They have all the pieces you need to be a winning team. But I don't know if Terry Stotts is the guy to push the right buttons for that team to get them over the hump, to be mm-hmm. honest. And that's why I think the issue is the issue isn't trading C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard. The issue is pushing the right buttons because he has all the ingredients for a championship team. They just don't seem to get over that hump or play a consistent brand of basketball to get them where they want to go. <clears throat> hmm. And when you look at Philly, again, Boston mm-hmm. notoriously, either whether it be the Ben Simmons era or going back to other eras, Boston's always giving them a tough out. So do you think Boston's a tougher out or, or Washington for Philly and who can upset them? Honestly, I, um, I think Washington may be the tougher out for them just because you have two guards that can actually put up numbers. Uh, when it comes to Boston, Boston's sometimes. They'll be good one yeah. night, and then the next night they'll be disappearing. And, you know, Kimball Walker is like, uh, you know, um, it's like that. It's, it's basically the, he's become the Forrest Gump of the Boston Celtics. I mean, you, you <laughs> seriously don't know what he's going to get. You know, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So, it's just, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily say, hey, uh, this is what's going to happen with Boston, or I can say that more with Washington than came with Boston. So I think Washington would be the tougher matchup for them. Mm, you, know, you know, as a Sixer fan, um, I'm hoping that uh, neither one, and they they make it to the promised land, the full, 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 like Moses Malone back in the day. And then, the, again, the Knicks, it's a, a great story. Not only they are four seed, but the Knicks finished 10 games over 500. Like, what? when have we seen that? And even our lifetime, um, Mike, in, in the latest, do we need to go back to Patrick Ewing that far or maybe a little after? But they, they, you got the four and five in the Atlanta team, that they you know a little banged up a little bit, but but certainly they they've been getting better more so than the Knicks. But I, I think this is a, a, a again another kind of fun uh, um, you know matchup. But assess who wins that that matchup. Well, if you uh, listen to uh, if you listen to Nate McMillan, he would think that that Atlanta would lose this series because the NBA wants the Knicks to go to the next round. By the way, he did get fined for that, that statement as well. But, mm. <clears throat> you know, I, honestly, looking at the teams, the Knicks play better defense, um, but the, the Hawks have better overall offensive talent. So which can be better, the team with uh, the offensive talent, can they play better defense, or the team with better defense, can they play uh, above their heads offensively? Taking a look at it, I think uh, a big key in the series is Derrick Rose coming in off the bench and Emmanuel quickly. Those two guys, 
can come in with firepower off the bench. They can kind of balance out a little bit what the, the Hawks do offensively, and the Knicks can move on in this series. I think I'll pick defense over offense. Defense with a little bit more offense sprinkled in as opposed to offense with, uh, you know, maybe some defense sprinkled in any day. Mm. Well, I, I just, I'm just, you know, I, I'm just happy for the, the Knicks to even be in the playoffs, happy for their fans, you know, the ones that really stuck around them, them real suffering ones like uh, T-Mac uh, that I'm sure are happy that they're, they're there. Real quick, if you're just joining us, a couple of Mike Patton here on the, uh, on the Bastion News Radio Show, on the Bastion News Radio Network. Um, and Mike, uh, Junior, Julian uh, Edelman retiring, said he's not going to go follow Gronk like um, who followed Brady to the Bucks. said he's quote-unquote a one-team guy. Do you believe that? And if he does join them, where would he fit? Because, I mean, they, they got double tight ends. They got wives that can go deep. Would he even fit into that offense with Tampa Bay if he did? If, if Brady said, "Hey, come on," and he decides to go? Honestly, he's making the right decision because he doesn't fit into that team. You have you have uh, two wide receivers there: Godwin and um, Mike Evans. You have Antonio Brown in the slot. You have a, there's another guy in the slot as well, Scotty Miller. I mean, no, they don't have a no Edelman. Would, would would probably struggle to be the fifth guy on that team. So no, I I, I think he's I don't see him going there. I think he's making the right decision for his career. After all, um, he missed the majority, if not all, of the season last year trying to rehab to get back, and he he definitely didn't feel it then. So I don't think he's going to risk it all going back out there trying to play when he doesn't feel like it, or his body can't re- react and respond to treatment the way it used to. Yeah, especially with all the and, and not to mention the the hits he took, um, you know. Um right. as you mentioned. Um just to look at the the AFC South, I know you cover and you got your, your, your broadcast coming up uh, pretty soon. I just wanna ask a couple of quick questions about the teams. And you look at Houston, any update on Deshaun uh Watson? Um and if if they're gonna keep this man here and he wants to go do you see them bringing in any more weapons and any more help on the offensive line? Um, with many camps over, rookie camps over now, um, you know, to help this team moving forward this year. Um, honestly, with the uh, with the Houston Texans, I don't see them. Um, I, don't, I don't see uh, Deshaun Watson playing it down for them. Uh, he is working out. As the, he had some workouts that were actually on Instagram on his Instagram page. But I don't see him playing a down for them. Uh, part of that is because uh, even if he is uh, proven not guilty, he'll still probably get a suspension from the league. So it's for president for that, especially with Ezekiel Elliott. So, um, and then another part of that is just he just doesn't want to be there. But, hey, you know, they did bring in Jeff Driscoll this league, so they have a bunch of quarterbacks that can try to play. That's all I can got for the uh, Houston Texans, and you know I'm gonna say a prayer for uh, David uh, for, for Coach Gully uh, after the uh, after we get off this call because he's gonna need it. Yeah, and it, it just think about it too. I mean, it, the the fact is that they, you know, they mailed it in. They packed it in. They don't really care. Stay, go, whatever. In my opinion, 
they they're going to be looking like you we said about the NBA players and that I mean the NBA teams about you know sort of tanking it. Uh, the Texans have no desires or uh, or any optimism in terms of winning the division. So I you know stay go whatever they're going to just kind of go with the flow I would think and you know they win any game uh, it'll be it'll be a, a blessing in disguise. Official Tim Tebow comes in with Jacksonville as a tight end. You you look at um, uh, a rookie quarterback out of Clemson, a rookie running back out of Clemson, already a a sixteen hundred yard runner uh, that wasn't even signed that did well, and they bring him in. And you you said that Bogman, why are you bringing this this rookie running back when you had a guy who ran for fifteen sixteen hundred yards last year? What are they going to do with Tebow anyway? I mean, are, are they going to use him in these type of uh, sort of uh, uh, ways where they'll use him as sort of some some kind of decoy, or are they, in your opinion and your sources, they're going to really use him, give him the reps as a tight end, and allow him to try to catch some mm-hmm. balls in the NFL? Well, talking to one of my uh, one of the people I know down there, uh, I mean, honestly, he's not very enthused about it. But um, one thing he will say is that, of course, you know, he he's uh, Urban Meyer's boy. He's probably going to be like a mentor to Trevor Lawrence or his guy to basically kind of show people the ropes and how to deal with Urban Meyer. You know, that's probably going to be his biggest contribution along with special teams. So I don't see him playing any tight end. I mean, Honestly, he went to a team that didn't have very good tight ends to begin with. So it's it's very plausible that he could carve out a role as a tight end on this team because their tight ends are that bad. But his biggest role will be um, to kind of be Urban's guy on the team and to kind of, I guess, show Trevor Lawrence the ropes, even though if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm not taking any throwing tips from team to Tim Tebow at all. Yeah, and Dante Hall said it better. Like, it's just very disturbing that this guy has a roster spot in the NFL. Um, he was, a, and that's putting it lightly uh, as a quarterback. Um, now he gets to play tight end. And, um, you know, I, I think, lost, yeah, and then, right, right. And then, so Vegas, for me, it's like, who's gone first when they go Owen, whatever? Uh, Urban Weiner or Tim Tebow. We'll, we'll see. Uh, they they both, of course, connected at uh, Florida, but we'll see what happens. With the Colts, everybody, it's, it seems it's divided, Mike, and I know what side you're on. I know what side I'm on. As far as what Carson Witts is going to do, some people say, okay, he's got the offensive line, he's got some weapons, and T.Y. Hilton, all these guys, and, and, and they, they can – perform and help him that he didn't have that there um, in in Philly, but I would argue that he had a, a, a good defense that could, you know, if he performed on third down, defense could help. But anyway, having said that, make a case for him having a successful season of what that would look like at this point. A successful season for him in Indianapolis would be him to stand upright him to not see the sky more than five times a game, uh, and him to actually stay healthy. Those are three good things that are um, that help him have a good season. 
other than that, um, you know, Frank Reich is a, you know, I guess he's a quarterback whisperer when it comes to, to Carson Wentz or that's the way he's viewed. So that's a good thing for Carson Wentz as well. And honestly, um, if he's completing, uh, I guess, what, 60, 65% of his passes, I'll give him that at least. Um, then you also look at the deep ball, things like that, with P.Y. Hilton and the connection there. I think he could put up about at least 25 to 30 touchdowns. That would be a great season for him in terms of a bounce-back season. But I know Carson, but definitely Carson Wentz probably expects to go north of 30 as opposed to right under 30. But, you know, hey, you got a crawl before you walk, and that team is a better running team than it is a passing team, especially with uh, Michael Pittman as their lead wide receiver, to my opinion, because T.Y. Hilton is, has quickly aged over the last two years. Yeah, he's, um, his, his breakaway, getting away from guys, is, is kind of not been good. And you know, the, the, you know, I don't know. Do you think just a follow-up to Frank Reich, having worked with him, obviously, um, will cut down on the turnovers? Because that's it for me. I'm, I, I can't stand that. I don't care what Ben Roethlisberger does in his career and Super Bowl, whatever. Don't turn the ball over. That was Carson Wentz. If he was holding it too long, pick six or just a bad pick or fumble, <clears throat> taking a sack, those negative plays, especially those interceptions, do you think Frank Reich is going to help him turn, I mean, you know, narrow those down and reduce those interceptions? Well, you better hope he does because, uh, you know, if he doesn't, then it's going to be uh, not a good thing for the Indianapolis offense. Um, not a good thing for the Indianapolis Colts season in general. So uh, they better hope he's able to do that and uh, cut down his turnovers. And, uh, you know, if you look at their past uh, past relationship together with Philadelphia Eagles, that did work out well. He did have a good time on playing under him. And also another thing is Carson Wentz plays hero ball. A lot of people don't talk about that, but he does. He wants to be the hero, make the fantastic play instead of taking the play that's there sometimes. Yep. And if Frank Wright can right. cut down on that, then he can definitely take him to another level. Uh, and, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles are, Eagles are hoping he goes to another level and stays healthy because if he plays a majority of the snaps this year, they get a first-round pick instead of a second-round pick. So the Eagles are cheering for the Colts, too, in Carson Wentz. Well, meanwhile, Jalen Hurts, the black quarterback, that um, is right now the, the starter, if you will, uh, has to fight off the reporters and and racist Philly that wants to talk about you know uh, are you ready for competition and and you know he's a he's a young guy in the NFL so under normal circumstances Mike I get that but as a black quarterback you know he hasn't even played that he took over for Carson Wentz hadn't even played the whole year and all he's got to answer all this competition and. Well, Carson Wentz has definitely, uh, um, you know, had the arm. And we'll see what happens to Jalen Hurst. He's got the legs for it. And all those those stereotypes that if this 2021 or 1981 is still the same thing. Like these guys, I feel bad that, you know, but Justin Fields in Chicago. Like he's in a no-win situation, Mike. I'm going off the rail a little bit, but, I mean, you know, he's got a, 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 a good a stud wide receiver. He's got a running game. And hopefully he can make some plays. 
but Chicago is very like much like Philly, you know, and you know it's it's sort of you know Pittsburgh and Philly and races in between is the same kind of thing, and so it's going to be interesting how both these quarterbacks um, respond to the controversy and the adversity that I'm sure surely is going to come their way if they make a bad throw a bad pick or a bl- lose a game or something. Yeah, it's definitely going to be there. I mean, even even Warren Moon had to go to the CFL to get a chance to the NFL, and he's right. a he's a Hall of Famer. So, you know, as far as uh, Jalen, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are trying to uh, think he hasn't earned the opportunity to be the starter. And honestly, uh, you know, if he doesn't come out of the game uh, against the against uh, uh, against the, gets the um, Washington football team, then more than likely he wins that game and has a pretty solid record going into the uh, into the off season. Uh, you know, but you know, I think that's gonna that noise is gonna be around him because of the short stint that he's there. But you know, the stereotypes of running with his legs and doing those type of things when they they clearly saw him make plays with his arm, that that's a little ridiculous at times. As far as Justin Fields, um. <clears throat> He can be viewed actually as the savior. A lot of a lot of Chicago fans that I know are viewing him as the savior. But you know, one thing I will say is if he ends up being the starting quarterback there, the Chicago Bears will have the most expensive set of backups in the NFL. They will have Andy Dalton making at least seven million dollars or eight million dollars guaranteed, and they will have Nick Foles making about four, three or four million, if not more than that, as backups. Almost twelve million dollars right. in backups. That that tells you something right there. And and the irony of it all is, I think Justin Fields is one of the more polished black quarterbacks to come out with the size and the arm and the accuracy that you know the the, the things that they always say about these these white quarterbacks coming out. I think he, I thought he should have been. You know, uh, obviously, you're going to look at the kid at Clemson and stuff, but um, certainly I thought he should have been, you know, the second or, or definitely third uh, quarterback going on. I think he's going to have a successful statistical career. We'll see if Chicago will build around him to make sure that he has the weapons to be successful for them to win a lot of games. I saved the Titans for last because we've seen what they've done, brought it in, you know, Bud Dupree, I've seen a lot of articles, Mike, and, you know, on, on him, if he's worth it, with coming off the injury and all that. They build it on the defense. I know you wanted them to, to go a little more in terms of uh, uh, deep threats and, and things of that nature. But uh, what about rookie camp, and, and what are you seeing and hearing uh, with the Titans going into uh, uh, the season? Well, we know one thing, and that's Caleb Farley is ready to prove that it's wrong. He's talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, he's probably talked about guys like me. He doesn't know me, but, you know, guys like me that have questioned why he was the first was was the first round pick for the Titans. So, you know, right. that's one thing that's been questioned. Um, and also, one thing to watch in this training camp, not just mini camp uh, right now, but you have to look to see who's going to be the third wide receiver because right now you couldn't tell anybody who was going to be the third wide receiver for the Titans because nobody knows the answer. Adam Humphreys is not here. Corey Davis left. 
They brought in Josh, uh, Josh Reynolds, the Los Angeles Rams, which I think he'll be a surprise for the Titans at wide receiver. But who do they have at slot? And do they go get a veteran wide receiver, like maybe a Golden Tate who's from Nashville, and bring him in? Well, I mean, that, that would be a solid uh, move for them. Uh, I've always liked Golden Tate um, wherever he's been. Even in his days in Notre Dame, I, I thought it was a solid uh, wide receiver. And so that would be a good good move. I, I, I just want to see how good their defense will be. I think their offense will, even if they didn't make the moves that they needed to in terms of um, multiple wide receivers and getting better even on the line, I thought um, it's all about that defense. The defense has let them down in the playoff runs that they've made. Um, they just haven't been able to hold, hold up. And But the good thing in this division, which you'll talk about, um, is that uh, it, I think all of them, with the exception maybe of the Colts, um, are going to have some 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 issues and some concerns, even with the Colts uh, on defense. So it'll be exciting. And by, by the way, um, you know Tim Tebow is not even the best quarterback, nor uh, um, any of his uh, folks on his team as quarterbacks on in Jacksonville on the team, let alone in that division. So we'll see what happens, Mike. Before you go, let people know how they can listen and reach out and listen to the show uh, this evening, sir. All right. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at MikePadden82. Uh, the show will be broadcasting live there on Twitter. Uh, it will also be live on Facebook. Uh, let's see. What else will be? It'll be live on my YouTube page as well, Sports Awakening YouTube page. Uh, we'll, we'll have all of them there. I don't know if you do Twitch. We have them on Twitch as well. So, We'll be there live and in person in about another, let's see, about another hour. We'll be on live uh, talking to Titans, uh, early predictions, uh, and going over every game week one through seven, excuse me, week one through 18 tonight. And the the funny thing is when we have you on next week, uh, I want you to give me a breakdown of their games and and a record. I, I already got numbers in my in, in the Steelers uh, win column and loss columns but I want to see what you think in terms of the Titans but thank you so much I'll, oh, by I'll, way, give you, if, if, I'll give you yeah. I'll give you not only that but I'll give you actually what games they'll win and what games they'll lose there you go that, that's exactly what I want and I was going to say incidentally if your daughter ain't a Mike Patton uh, female version oh my god <laughs> seeing her out on the playground if she don't look, if you didn't, you could never ever deny her, Mike. Oh my gosh, she looks so so cute. She just looks, she's a female version of you, man. Out there playing on the I was watching that. I said, oh my God, if that is not Mike, uh, the female version right there, playing out there <laughs> on the schoolyard thing there. But uh, much love, man, to you and your wife and your kids. We'll talk next week, man. Thank you so much. Be well, be safe. Yes, sir. Thank you. You have a great night, man. Uh, thanks, Mike. Mike Patton, always good to have him on, talking some uh, uh, NFL, NBA insight. AFC South uh, show coming on very soon. Remember, if you miss any part of our broadcast, you need to go 
to our site, the Bass News uh, Airtime Not Pro, the Bass News uh, Radio uh, Airtime Not Pro. Follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation Two, on Twitter, and of course uh, uh, Instagram and other uh, outlets. Make sure you listen and enjoy. Uh, coming up 8 p.m. Eastern is Whisper Softly Love Song at TheBastionNews.Airtime.Pro. Enjoy. I 
cherish you, yes I do, girl You're the baddest woman I've ever known The sweetest thing I've ever had, yes you are And I want to thank you, baby For loving me and changing me and saving me See, I was lost, I was lonely But you came in and turned it all around, girl You light up my life, yes you do You're the song of my heart, the joy of my soul And I'm gonna love you, girl, I am I'm going to be good to you, darling, I will. Let the Lord shine his light on our love as we move on down the road together, girl. Baby, 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 can I love you all the days of my life? Hey, girl, I treasure you. Yes, I do, yeah. Can you hear me calling out your name? Can I give you all the things that you need? Can I give you all the love that you
Bye.
that was my claim to fame With every measure Chased it, your teardrop stained, yeah You were cold as ice Long ago Why? 
brother.
groove I'll make your body cream with my sex machine I won't stop until I hear your mother scream I wanna do, yeah
What kind of friends could we have been? If we could get to be When we have made a vow To be the friends We were to leave again But soon as love appeared You turned away And you
touch me 